Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis and psychedelics industries forward. This week, Anne is running solo with a new episode featuring John Muller, CEO of Greenlights, one of the fastest growing multi-state operators in the United States with operations in Missouri, Arkansas, West Virginia, Illinois, and South Dakota, and a general focus on limited licensed states in the Midwest and Southeast. John has previously served as Chief Executive Officer of Acres Cannabis and Acres Cultivation and currently serves as Principal of Mid-America Capital. He brings extensive experience with state regulations and compliance in all areas of cannabis cultivation and dispensing, having spent two decades working for federal and state regulatory agencies, including the USDA and FDA. John has served in all levels of executive management, primarily in the cannabis, food, manufacturing, and construction industries. In this episode, Anne chats with John about some of the lesser-known cannabis markets, including Missouri, Arkansas, and South Dakota, and what makes them unique compared to more mature states. John also provides his thoughts on pending legislation like the Safe Banking Act and ballot initiatives that will be voted on this November, as well as what he's looking for as the industry continues to develop. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with John Muller, CEO of Greenlight. John, thank you so much for joining the Green Rush, the KCSA podcast. <laughs> um, so the way that we usually start this is we want to know about you and what brought you to cannabis and a little bit about your journey. Um, can you can you start there? Yeah, we my brother and I, who have been partners since the, the day I got out of college, had a father-in-law that was in one of the original collectives out in uh, California. Uh, we made a minor investment into that. Uh, saw the difference it was making for some patients and uh, kind of avoided the Oregon and, and California and Colorado with, with the number of licenses out there. And then we went all in on Nevada, uh, won six for six licenses out there with our, uh, our partners on the ground. And uh, that really started our real journey into, uh, into cannabis. It was called Acres at the time. Uh, we had 300,000 square feet of cultivation. We ended up building out a 19,000 square foot dispensary that for a little time was the, the largest in the country. And we did cannabis museums and, and kitchens you could see through. And, and we did the first farmer's market in the country and did some other creative things as, uh, as we entered the cannabis business. And simultaneously to doing that, we, we won another dispensary out there. And then we also uh, opened 270,000 square feet in California in uh, one of the historic greenhouses in Salinas Valley. And uh, in March of uh, 2019, we, we found after, after meeting with 26 different groups, uh, we found a great partner in Cureleaf to, uh, to sell those assets to and, uh, and be a part of the, uh, the Cureleaf family those, uh, as, as they took on that operation, expanded it from there. And then we were able to come back and, and reload in, in that same time frame, one, one, one down in in uh, Arkansas, and then came back and and did uh, was highly successful in the application process in Missouri, and so that's kind of how we started off in the business. 
So I want to, I definitely want to get to, uh, you know, your, your geographic location and kind of why you're dominating in this Midwest, Southeast kind of region. But, um, I want to go back to, you know, you guys were sort of in on the, the initial kind of cannabis 1.0, which was the, this great like land grab. Um, but now, you know, I, I think you guys have, have, let me ask the question this way. What have you learned from, from your, your time in, in Nevada and the, the time with Cura Leaf? Um, and how has that changed the way you are running Greenlight now? Yeah, I think, uh, obviously, we made just about every mistake you can make. Uh, when fa- fa- <laughs> you know, we're founders of the business, starting from scratch. Uh, we, we've done a, a host of other USDA processing and construction companies and everything else in between. And this uh, marijuana is definitely the hardest business you can you can enter from the ground floor, working your way up and finding a company and getting banking and all those other things. And so, uh, you know, obviously from, from those life lessons and, and creatively solving a patient's needs or being able to drive that adult use customer to the, to the door is much different than in the widget business. So we, we've learned that, you know, how you market and now the banking environment's much better than it was back there. We were hopping around all the time back in, in my Nevada days. So having uh, bank accounts with third-party compliance that's keeping in the FDIC environment and, and not worrying about being shut down every day and, and payroll checks out there and everything else that, uh, that goes with being in our industry has really loosened up uh, since even, you know, that, that March of 2019 that I just mentioned. So I think uh, th- those lessons. And then also we built a, a fabulous team around us in that acres process. And as CureLeaf comes in, they already have their admin crew. So we we're able to, to gobble those people up with the same life lessons that we just got and bring them into the Greenlight family. And, uh, and we've got a whole host of long-term employees that are now kind of OGs in the industry because, you know, that, that amount of time and just six short years, uh, that, that gives you a lot of, uh, uh, That's of, like 50 in, in, in cannabis years, right? <laughs> cannabis years are dog years. Yeah. So, uh, you age, you age quickly in this business and, and you gotta be, you gotta be working. But I think the difference back then is, is the big MSOs were really going out to land grab and, and controlling markets. And they had to be in Nevada or they have to be in California or they had to be, uh, everywhere else in the country and, and mainly on the coast. And so uh, they were going out and, and cutting deals to basically kind of block out the other MSOs from, from doing deals with us or, or other groups. And I think now they, they start looking at, you know, what's your earnings? What's your earnings potential? How does this impact these quarterly reports that we've got to spit out every month? And now we're expected to be, you know, no more adjusted EBITDAs and more gap accounting and things along those lines. And I think that's going to be uh, for all the MSOs is, is going to be the real trigger is what what can this earn me over the course of time and how does that reflect you know is it accretive to the the shareholders of my publicly traded entity because a lot of those were still in this transitional phase of just going public and we needed sales volume more than we needed earnings now and I think it's kind of flipped to a more traditional model than it has uh, has before. Well, you guys have elected to stay private as you've built this this MSO. Um, can you talk about why that is, and can you talk about how big Greenlight actually is? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think for us, one, it's it's much more efficient, and you can be much more profitable as a privately held company. And uh, you know, obviously, our goal is to find a, a a partner later on that we either go public with 
or uh, or merge into you know one of the other uh, larger operators. But if you look at volume of stock, uh, all the volume of is basically traded in in you know basically five or six different entities, uh, really. So being a, a small publicly traded company is is not necessarily where I think you want to be for the costs associated of operating a publicly traded company today. So I think that that's not really in our future. We're we're profitable, have been profitable out of the gate. Uh, we're focused on that just like any other widget business would would be and uh, and maintaining and growing our, our consumer base as we expand. And uh, so we've we've created one of the larger you know MSOs that's that's private out there today. Uh, we've got 23 operating dispensaries, 150,000 square feet of cultivation manufacturing space. And we've got another, let's see, uh, what is it, 15 under construction now. So uh, we're going to be in in the first quarter or second quarter of next year. We'll will be a nice footprint of what we think can be, you know, almost 40 stores somewhere in that that range. And uh, we're getting much more efficient at, at opening and operating stores and and controlling labor costs and ensuring that that consumer has a spectacular uh, experience every time they come into Greenlight. And talk about the states you're in. Yeah, so so uh, Missouri is our biggest footprint, as uh, as we said today. Fifteen operating uh, green light stores spread all across uh, the state. Missouri is a six million dollar six million person population here. Uh, so we've got uh, huge cultivation. We feed mainly our stores, and then obviously uh, we we pick up everybody else's vendor products, as that's how you drive traffic through the stores. Mm-hmm. So we've got a really really good position here in uh, in Missouri. We've also expanded our farmer's market here. We've, we've done some real creative Actually, things. yeah, talk about the farmer's market. I love this idea. And it, it seems like one that you guys carried over from Nevada. And um, it really has like hit its stride in, in, in a state like Missouri, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. We, we actually launched the, the first legal farmer's market at, at Acres uh, back in 2017, I guess it was. <clears throat> and so that that brought in a whole, you know, basically I, I looked at it and I saw the pop-ups that everybody do there and they have their un, uninfused edibles and they sit there and they spend four hours and then they send them up to the counter and then the bud tender tells them what to buy, uh, generally speaking. So yep. you lose that momentum. So uh, the, the, the reason for the invention is you allow that cultivator or processor to actually get behind the register and drive the traffic to their specific booth there. And then they get to hear directly from the consumer or patient of, you know, why they should buy their products, you know, how they grow or what their nutrients are, or this is organic or that's, you know, has, has whatever in it. Right. But you get to give your sales pitch directly somebody that actually has cash in their, in their pocket to basically uh, talk to them about why they should buy their product. And so the underground, uh, as we call it, uh, farmers market, you go through a, you know, kind of a, a drug tunnel looking thing. And then you pop out, it's shipping containers and graffiti on the wall. And it's just a different vibe. We got DJ booth and you make it a, a totally different buying experience, but they're going there to buy directly from the cultivator or processor, you know, they all have agent badges and it's all highly regulated, et cetera. But the, uh, they, they get to communicate directly with that guy. Why should I buy an ounce of your product instead of, you know, going up to the bud tender next door at our traditional dispensary and uh, and picking up four of these or whatever. So it's a totally different buying experience. We get a line uh, around the building uh, for each one of these. In a medical market, we do a monthly. Uh, out at uh, Acres, we would do a weekly on Fridays and Saturdays only, limited uh, time frame. And uh, people come there to get, to get value and a different experience than what they're used to. So 
we're, we're not really a, uh, as far as our, our look and feel, we want people to feel warm and invited. So we uh, keep bars off the windows and keep white subway tiles from feeling like we're really a medical operation. So uh, pretty laid back vibe and, and generally it's work with our, uh, our consumer base. We'll talk about some of the other states that you're in in a moment, but I want to stick with Missouri um, because it is your hometown. It's your home state. And you have received some good news in recent weeks. Um, can you and, and you're you're just one of the smartest guys I know who can dig into ballot measures and initiatives and all of this stuff. So can you do a quick overview on um, the Missouri market, what the next steps are um, and, and who helped to get this to where it is? Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, obviously the, the big news you're referencing is we made the November ballot. Yay! Uh, yeah, it, it's it's a big deal. It's it's uh, pretty traditional for an adult use ballot initiative. The, the one interesting one was, you know, we were able to get automatic expungement on there, which is a really big deal to instead of basically hiring an attorney to go out and try and, you know, figure out your way through the red tape. So we've got automatic expungement on there for minor offenses obviously nonviolent minor uh, offenses, mm -hmm. which pretty much, you know, 70-ish percent of the entire United States believes in. So we, we our internal polling shows that uh, similar number here in Missouri. So we're, we're really proud of that. And that also allowed us to basically put a great coalition of industry people together, along with groups like the NAACP and Normal, who generally the industry and, and, and kind of free market uh, view of that generally don't get together on uh, ballot initiatives, they generally have competing ones. And so by putting that coalition together up front, it, it allowed us to have a, a really good ground game in really a tough market to uh, to actually go get ballot initiatives done because one, people don't like to talk is as much to a human that walks up to them in a grocery store trying to get them to sign a, a ballot initiative. And and also- COVID, uh, I mean, you, you had to yeah. overcome that too, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so the other one is actually hiring people to get them on the streets when uh, a lot of people are still staying home and the workforce has not been activated like it, it should be by now. So putting that coalition together, we invested a significant amount of money to, uh, to make sure that happened. We were one of, one of the larger funders uh, as well, because uh, we have the, as much to gain as anybody else. And, and we also, as, as far as the medical program, we, we help facilitate and sponsor more medical cards than anybody in the state of Missouri. So that's always been my thing that people shouldn't have to spend that extra dollar to go get a, uh, a medical card to you know, alleviate a pain or ailment or whatever. So, mm -hmm. so, so we're really excited about that. Internal polling's good. Uh, you, you always don't uh, count your chickens on that. So we, we've got a good ground game in place and it's, you know, I grew up with a political science degree. So this is about the only time I get to use it in my real world. Now. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and what is, you know, you're saying polling looks good overall. What is the sentiment towards, um, towards can uh, medicals already there, but towards rec in, in the state? Like, is it, I, I feel like, you know, I've lived in New York, I've lived in Los Angeles. I'm very coastal. Like we just assume that it's very conservative. It's very red. And you know, the war on drugs is still raging. So what, Give us a snapshot of what it's actually. Yeah, yeah. so we've got a, uh, a prove me wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we, we've got a uh, Republican governor, and uh, both our, our House and Senate are both uh, Republican led here. Uh, I think we voted for Trump by sixteen percent to give you an idea. Uh, so, so he heavily skewed, skewed red here. But if you look at you know just nationwide, you're at about sixty five, sixty six percent 
uh, approval of people thinking that adult use should be, you know, so depending on how you ask that question, but uh, you got the mid sixties, call it. And uh, our internal polling has that at, at 58% here in the state of Missouri. And then you've got, you know, across the nation, you got 90% that, that kind of buys off on the medical uh, side of this equation in, in some way, shape or form. And so uh, I, I think the combination of those, and, and we were 66% when we passed our medical initiative. So we, we think we're going to be in the low 60s come November if, if we do a good job and depending on you know who comes out against us. And if, if they tell, uh, tell the real story of, of what other states have seen and not you know these big crime spikes or adolescent use doesn't you know, exponentially go up and you know, there's not weed on every corner. The world and, doesn't you know, end. Yeah, the world <laughs> will not end. And uh, and we'll have additional tax revenue, another $40 million plus dollars in, in tax revenue. And that goes to veterans program here and and drug prevention, et cetera. You know, so we're, we're, we're really excited about it. We're seeing similar poll numbers as, as we're going, uh, hopefully adult use down in uh, Arkansas as well. So similar poll numbers uh, across the board. I have one more question about Missouri. But so let's say, you know, it passes. Um, what does the week after look like? Are, is it a pro and, and you may not even know the answer to this yet. Is it a program that switches? So you, you know, you've got the medical license in the state. You're now able to serve the adult use community, or is it going to be like, I think it was Massachusetts where you had to rebid everything and resubmit applications, even though you've gone through this exhaustive process for medical, you know, and you're, you have to do it again to, to do rec. So. Well, I, I think that the, that's one of the critical things that the industry got involved in is we don't want to have the mass, you know, the mass issue out there. And we also didn't want to have the Colorado issue where you're two separate doors, two separate lines, and and you're you're acting like it's, you know, they're they're unrelated <laughs> and they're not coming out of the same cultivator or manufacturer. With the same product. You're coming out with the same product. <laughs> so so their allotments are 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 bigger if if you have a patient card. And uh, and obviously, uh, people do internal discounts and all that other stuff that keep the patient community that built our industry uh, thriving. But uh, in the initiative itself, we put a, a a date in there that if you have a medical license, that you would get a what's called a comprehensive license on February seventh. So uh, so November vote, they they put the rules and regs, which we're uh, we're giving them suggestions on that today, and then your uh, your you know on the Hopefully on the 6th of February, you'll you'll be a medical operation and and magically on uh, midnight of the 7th, uh, we would have our first adult use sales, you know, barring legal challenges and all the stuff we don't mm -hmm. know. So. All right. So if in your if you're in Missouri and you're listening, please go vote. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Go, go register and go vote. Go register. Go vote. This is important. Uh, so, you know, we talked about, um, you know, you mentioned before in, in when you talked about the polling and it really depends on how you ask the question kind of brings me to Arkansas, um, which has been in the news lately uh, regarding its adult use ballot initiative. And it is incredibly confusing. I'm wondering if you can walk our listeners through what the hell is going on in that state. <laughs> Well, uh, just like Missouri too, like we had legal challenges and then you shoot down the legal challenges. So uh, what Arkansas did uh, a few years back is they put a election board in there. So you go collect your signatures, it goes in front of election board and they say whether or not they should make it to the ballot or not. And uh, there's been arguments of whether or not that election board is basically unconstitutional uh, because it supersedes the signatures that were collected there in the constitution. So there's this little legal battle between an election board 
that you know you spend millions of dollars to collect signatures, and then the election board could basically say uh, it's it's not right, right? And so you take that, and then you sue back in the other direction uh, to the Supreme Court, which is where uh, uh, the fine folks of Arkansas did, and they said it's going on the ballot, but uh, Supreme Court did not have time to review the case in itself. And uh, so they could potentially, we could vote in November and they could potentially come back and say, nullify the will of the people. We don't believe they're going to do that uh, because, you know, and one also, when you actually get approval, there's always legal challenges, whether it's in Nevada, mm -hmm. or California, yeah. everybody can file a lawsuit for anything, as we all know. And so we, we feel, you know, comfortable that, you know, the signature collection, we definitely had enough signatures, two times what they asked for. So we're, we're hoping that the Supreme Court, uh, in conjunction with the will of the people in November, are uh, passed that like, uh, like we expect in Missouri as well. And then that, that, uh, that process down there is very similar to the Missouri where I think it's March, uh, the medical stores would, would be allowed to sell adult use products uh, based on the initiative as written. So, but down there, as, as you have a lot of uh, more challenges on the constitution, you can't put in things like expungement and things like that. That as an activist, oh, really? part, you, you can't you can't get a lot of the bells and whistles in there. So you lose some of the activists because it should be this overarching thing that yeah. Everything. But the the challenge is is you know when you put too many things in there, it it highly increases your chance of actually getting nothing. Yeah, not just from the voters, but also being legally challenged. So you got to be cautious of a constitutional amendment that was passed in medical. And then it's going to adult use. You guys operate in states that are largely left out of the conversation when it comes to cannabis. And um, and I and I don't I'm not saying that in a disrespectful way. I mean, everyone talks about Colorado and California and Oregon and Washington and um, Florida and the medical market. Um, but, uh, you know, you're in Missouri, Arkansas, South Dakota, Illinois and West Virginia right now. What are you guys seeing there that others may not? You know, why? Like, you know, you are you are the biggest, uh, you know, untold story in the MSO community. What what do you see that others don't? Yeah, no, the you know, so obviously we're we're medical as we sit today. So and uh, depending on the fingerprinting and all that other stuff, the the uh, you know, like in Missouri, you have to have a hundred hundred percent fingerprint. So a cure leaf or true leaf of the world cannot own an asset here in Missouri because obviously that cap table changes every day. Mm -hmm. So uh, what the ballot initiatives do in both states is allow, uh, you know, basically you can own 10% of the total market. So say it's 200 dispensaries, you could own 20 dispensaries. And also you, on you know, it allows publicly traded companies to come in and operate. So I think uh, they are quickly figuring that out. And if you look between Arkansas and Missouri, which, which we're confident they'll, They'll, they'll both go adult use and allow, uh, you know, people from the coast to come in here, but, uh, or mainly from Illinois, probably, but mm -hmm. the, uh, allow them to, to come in and operate and, and roll that up on their financial statement. So before they used to have these disjointed uh, extra subsidiaries and all that other stuff that all these publicly traded, well, they're obviously trying to roll that all up. So they see, you know, how they're putting the money to work of the shareholders. So. We think uh, we think the MSOs will be looking at you know these two together nine million humans you know versus in Arizona with seven seven million people we have actually better borders uh, where these border uh, you know these border stores on you know on the Missouri Kansas state line are going to be 
really, really valuable assets. Yeah. And, uh, and then also South Dakota is also has a, uh, a ballot initiative that made the ballot also in November. So that one could potentially go for us too. We think we're going to have eight or nine stores uh, by the time that transpires up there. Illinois is obviously already adult use. And then uh, West Virginia has got a ways to go. So we'll see. Uh, we're, we're playing the long game in, uh, in West Virginia for sure as the patient counts. And we're driving a lot of, of patients to the market get them off synthetics, et cetera. So we're uh, West Virginia's a little bit longer one. And then obviously we want to go compete in, in the Alabamas and Floridas and North Carolinas of the world as well coming up here shortly. Yeah, I'm just thinking, so Kansas is nowhere near, right? North Dakota is nowhere near. So you really are kind of making a nice stake in the ground for... North Dakota is, but uh, Iowa is uh, got a long way to go. Kansas, we think, could have a, a medical approval. But as we found out in Missouri was one of the faster states to convert. So we have, you know, from the time that uh, we voted on that till the time a, uh, a first license was out, it's an 18 month process. And so even if we could get something and that's a legislative state, so it's not a ballot initiative state. So we got to get something through. Mm. Uh, we've, we've got democratic government. Important today. distinction there. Yeah. Not, not sure we're going to have a, uh, after November, I, I think that might be a Republican governor. So, mm-hmm. so, so polls. And then uh, obviously very conservative uh, legislature down there. They, they did pass in the House. They passed the medical bill. Very expansive, look like uh, Oklahoma. And the Senate uh, uh, does not want to see an Oklahoma of the world where more black markets coming out of there than anywhere else. So uh, I think I think we might be we might get a medical program in uh, Kansas. But then you got, you know, call it two years from now before you would see right. a medical patient uh, walking through a door. And, they, and you know, your focus is on these limited license markets. So the Oklahomas of the world hold no interest for you, right? Interest for us or... or right any, now. Uh, I mean... Yeah, or, or yeah. any of the, uh, you know, probably anybody listening to your podcast that's a retail investor, like there's not an MSO that's, that has a, a material operation uh, going on in Oklahoma. There's just too many, too many grows, you know, 29,000 cultivators and processors and 1,900 dispensaries. Not enough people smoking weed in Oklahoma. Yeah, no, even, even if they go adult use down there, it's, yeah. the math is still, you know, is still just not there. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like we, as a country are, we, we're very, you know, polarized and, you know, you're, you're Democrat, you're Republican, you're, you know, whatever. Um, but I feel like the, the cannabis conversation kind of transcends that. And I'm finding that, you know, there's, there's not difference in, there's not a difference of, of, you know, patient need or patient wants in a state like Nevada versus a state like Arkansas, right? Like, are, are you seeing that too? Or is there something just so fundamentally different about these more conservative states, you know, in the patient population, or is it purely politics? No, I, I think it's it's politics and and what you hear out of a Republican governor versus a Democrat governor are two different messages. And if you listen to the progressive wing of uh, of the left, you know, where they want reparations and all this stuff tacked on there. And then you got the conservative guys that uh, are still uh, the, the the heavy right conservative that just just say no. And it's it's a gateway drug and all those other things that uh, that are you know, basically thrown out there. So actually, uh, in, in the federal side of this, you got the progressives and the conservatives are basically killing anything. Uh, the highly conservatives, the, the middle of the road people, you know, that are not on that 10% fringe, 
you know, are, are all in alignment on this, you know, 90% approval, or, you know, like yeah. all, all that stuff is all in alignment to get safe banking or something like that through the federal standpoint. So, but really you got the progressives and the, and the highly, highly conservative, just say no people are working together, unfortunately, to, to basically kill anything happening at the, that level. But the consumer base itself is, uh, is no different. I mean, uh, at least, you know, about, uh, half of the sales we did in Nevada were uh, tourists anyway. So they're coming from Missouri or Arkansas or yeah, you know, actually a lot of California too as well. Obviously that's a big portion of the uh, tourism out there, but uh, that we see the same consumer consumer trends there. Obviously at a new market, you you see the transition from the flower-based products to, to uh, you know, your edibles and vape and, and concentrates and things along those lines, like it's kind of stabilized out in Colorado right now. So other than product skew in that, uh, you know, your your consumer is still spending what they're spending a month about the same in uh, Colorado as it is here or anywhere else. So. I want to talk about the future of Greenlight. Uh, you know, you had mentioned uh, a possible future partnership or roll up or going public. Uh, you know, you have investors listening. Um, maybe you have some some publicly traded MSOs listening. What do you want to say to them? Yeah, no. I, I, obviously, we're, we we like what we're doing. We're we're pretty efficient at uh, setting up stores and operating them. We have a very focused plan on on getting stores up more efficiently than our peers, and also building out cultivation centers uh, efficiently as well. So we we think we have an interesting footprint uh, for a, a merger or roll up with uh, with somebody else down the road. Uh, we're we're very cautious with our capital here, so we're not raising money or uh, or doing anything else here. So we're we're, we're focused on executing on you know a plan that we have in place, and then we we think we're going to fill a nice hole for uh, a, another group to either merge together and we do something together, or you know one of the bigger MSOs to uh, to come in and and do a partnership deal uh, to have a a substantial footprint in uh, in a place that generally they they've flown over the top of for a period of time, and and obviously we're we're really proud of the the team we built. We're about 400 people. Uh, today, uh, in in another uh, quarter from now, I think that will be closer to 500, as uh, as we're expanding the store count and and our cultivation center. So, uh, we 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 offer a lot of human assets and and uh, operational skills to this as as well. You know, the just hearing you talk about um, you know plugging a nice hole and really you know filling out someone's you know national portfolio. It is a tough time to be a publicly traded cannabis company to say the least do you see any of that happening without something like a safe banking happening um uh, you know it's just such a tight market yeah no i i think uh, i think it's going to take a, a safe banking or, or something along those lines to trigger i mean these the the values that uh the market caps that you're seeing in a, in a true lever gti that you know is seven times earnings deal is is absolutely crazy for the exponential growth potential of our mm -hmm. industry. And so I I just don't see that foregoing. I, th I think it, all these guys have have a double runway out there. Uh, and and obviously we were we, we've lost 65 percent of the value in, in these big MSOs value, uh, you know, since March of 20. You know, which is which is crazy. And obviously, everybody thought uh, President Biden was going to do something quickly, and and we're back. Yeah. Did we? Did we really yeah. think that? Yeah. Well, I don't know why I did, but other, <laughs> yeah. obviously, the, the market was saying they were betting. Yeah. 
And then when that kind of fizzled out, that uh, that that was not going to transpire. So, I, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of the federal guys do not want to be on record. Um, it's it's a you know they lose points on the Republican side uh, by coming out in in favor of of pretty much anything in our industry. Sadly to say, on those uh, on that very conservative side, and the and the Democrats uh, are are pretty much already out, or or they're trying to push for for something that's way you know that basically won't won't pass a filibuster. So yeah. we've got to get them to meet in the middle, which is uh, challenging in today's world, Italy. Yeah, absolutely. Well. Um, my last question for you is you are heading to the Benzinga Capital Conference, Cannabis Capital Conference next week. So we're recording this on the 9th. Um, you are heading out to Chicago. Uh, what do you think you're going to see? What are people going to be talking about? Well, I, I think uh, obviously we're going up there. Uh, we've got a team from Greenlight going up there to, to meet with a lot of the friends we've made in the industry and, and some of the bigger companies and, and also strategic partners. So uh, we we want to make sure everybody knows uh, who Greenlight is and what we've been doing, what we've been building here, and the excitement uh, around a, a, a very big market, you know, two billion dollar plus market that uh, that we're going to have a good dominant position in. So I think we want to go, uh, you know, basically tell that story quickly up there. And I and I think the the Benzinga crew is is going to give us a little more insight too, and and uh, some of those guys are a little more. Uh, knowledge of what's happening at the at the federal level and some of these also you know you look at these uh the regulatory environments and things like that and in individual states that are that are struggling to uh to find the happy medium there of, of what it says in the law versus what they're doing on the floor so i think we're going to learn a lot on the regulatory front and and also i think uh you know i, I think we're going to you know shortly here and and uh you know the end of this year or next year we're going to start seeing you know, it's kind of been a calm, calm time for mergers and acquisitions in our industry. And I think some what a nice stuff, way to put it. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's my politically correct way of saying. Wow, that. You know, yes, it's calm. Yeah, it, it is calm, but I think you'll start seeing uh, as as hopefully the safe banking maybe maybe comes around quicker than I hope. But uh, I think you'll start seeing some more activity as uh, as companies are kind of you know rising to the top of uh, of the food chain and, and getting more market activity and also expanding their business uh, as as we don't think there's going to be open borders anytime in uh, soon. So, you know, we got decades, I think, or decade at least uh, till you would ever see a product moving from Missouri to Illinois or, or vice versa. Yeah, I, I think there's a long runway for this industry. And I think it's, you know, when you look at our drinks and all these other categories coming on board and and you're you're seeing uh, we're taking into you know cutting in the alcohol consumption, and uh, you know it's it's really interesting that I can go you know give somebody a gummy for for two bucks uh, versus sixteen dollar drink at uh, at a nightclub. So it's uh, we're we're shifting we're shifting that and public perception. I used to whisper under my voice of the industry I'm in. Now we you know myself or any consumers are are uh, more boisterous about uh, the love of the plant and the products. Well, and it's a family business too. So yeah. what's yeah. your Thanksgiving table like? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually, sh shockingly, my, my brother and I don't, uh, and actually we've got a, a nephew that works here now too uh, in our accounting department, but uh, uh, my brother and I don't really argue over, over much shockingly. And, and I've, I've never signed the uh, the back of the paycheck, as they say. We've only signed the front of them, so I've never had a real job. So this is all we know. <laughs> this is all we know. 
I love it. Well, uh, continued success. Excited to see where you guys are and let's have you back on in six months and, and see, see what happens. Yeah. Perfect. And th thank you so much for doing this, this podcast for the industry and, and also appreciate you hosting me today. Thanks, John. Thank you. Our thanks to John Mueller, CEO and founder of Greenlight. Check them out for more info at greenlightdispensary, one word, dot com. You can also learn more about how KCSA Cannabis can help your cannabis or psychedelics business by emailing us at greenrush at kcsa.com. You can also connect with us on our social channels. Twitter is at the underscore greenrush. Instagram is at the Green Rush underscore podcast. And if you could rate us and subscribe to the Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher, we would be ever so grateful. One take, Shay, one take.